Hello everyone, welcome to Living in the Word, a Christian podcast that aims to spread the Word of God and to encourage help young people continue to navigate this world with the Word of God. The aim is to remain and live in the Word. My name is Siandam Gomezulu and today's topic is about the fall of mankind. Hey guys, welcome back to Living in the Word. On today's episode, we'll be focusing on the third chapter of Genesis, which is the story of Adam and Eve. But instead of going on about who should be blamed between Adam and Eve, we'll be looking at how we can learn from their mistake in order to avoid falling for the devil's tricks like they did. It is very easy to fall for the same tricks and doing the same mistake over and over if you do not learn from it. We need to learn from our mistakes so we can avoid repeating them. So today we'll be looking at how Eve was deceived, why the serpent approached Eve and not Adam, what and how we can do to protect ourselves from such. previous episode we spoke about creation how everything came to exist the creation of man the creation of life the creation of the entire universe in chapter 2 of Genesis God forms man out of dust he then breathes his own breath into man's nostrils to give him life by the end of the first two chapters of Genesis we find God has created Adam and Eve and has placed them in the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect at this point. They are sinless, enabling them to live in intimate and unbroken fellowship with God. Unfortunately, the human race does not continue in this wonderful relationship, but disobeys God and falls out of fellowship with Him. Now let's open Genesis 3. For it provides clear references as to where and how the fall of man occurs. Genesis 3, 1 to 5 Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, here's a very interesting question. Have you ever read this chapter and tried putting yourself in Adam or Eve's position? Like, have you ever asked yourself, if I was Eve or Adam, would I have made a different decision than them? Do you think you would have overcome the temptation of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Or do you think that you would have been deceived just like them and tricked into eating from the forbidden tree after carefully assessing how Eve was 
easily deceived i started reflecting on myself and my relationship with god and i came to a conclusion and to answer to that question but before i give you my answer i just want to say that it is very easy to look at other people and think if it was me in that position i would have done this i would have done that i would have said this this that Because um, it's only until you are in that position that you see that it's not as easy as it seemed when you were looking at it from outside, from afar. I am not trying to justify Eve's decision, but what I'm trying to say is that at some point in our lives, we have been Eve's and Adam's. We may have made decisions on our own without consulting god we are often faced with challenges and situations we don't know solutions we don't have solutions for and instead of immediately involving god and asking for guidance we often go and ask people for help first we consult our family we consult our friends we look at what we know and lean accord, um, according to our understanding, we lean on our own knowledge, you know. Instead of asking God first, instead of consulting with God, instead of um, praying or even just sitting down and, and, and just being like, God, what do I do next? I do not know what to do. Help me. Instead of doing that, we just we are so quick to turn to what we know or what we think we should do or what other people are saying which is very dangerous it is it is a very dangerous thing to do have you ever heard of the butterfly effect in chaos theory the it's the phenomenon whereby a minute localized change in a complex system can have large effects somewhere like a small change a very small change very small change in one state of a system a non-nuclear system can result in a large difference in a later state that's a definition i got from google um what i'm trying to say with this is that you could think that it's just a minor decision that you are making or that you are about to make not knowing what trouble or damage it could do in the future involving god in our decisions is something that we should practice till it's second nature to us it would help us avoid a lot of trouble it would help us avoid making rash and reckless decisions that could come back and hurt us in the end look at eve she probably thought if that was the punishment, it would only affect her and Adam. She did not know that it would affect the entire human race. She did not know that it would affect an entire generation and a generation after that and the generation after that. She did not know that. And that's why it's so dangerous making decisions without involving God. We should be letting God lead our lives, not the other way around. We should stop making our own plans without talking to God first and then 
expecting him to back us up, especially when things start falling apart. Let God be the driver of your life. And if you um, let God be the driver of your life, please do not be the backseat driver leading the way while you're sitting at the back. That's not how things are supposed to work. It's either you let God lead or you lead. And also, we shouldn't be in a one-sided relationship with God, only calling Him when you need Him. Relationships go both ways. They're not one-sided. It doesn't work if it's one-sided. It, it, it doesn't work like that. Nothing good comes out of a one-sided relationship. Okay? Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Oh, and my answer is no, I wouldn't have made a different decision than that of Eve. Because if I was going to make a different decision, then I'm pretty sure that I was going to be the one in the garden instead of Eve. <laughs> I'm joking, but also not joking. I know that I would have made the same decision that Eve made at that time but that's why we are doing this podcast today so that we can learn from their mistakes and not do what Eve did so that when we come face to face with temptation just like Eve did we can make a different decision in the first verse of the third chapter we are introduced to the serpent the bible describes it as the most cunning of all all wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now this means that the serpent is skillfully deceitful. It is characterized by its crafty ingenuity and it possesses knowledge. It is very smart. This tells us not to underestimate its deceitfulness for it is very, very clever. So I think that the Bible is letting us know to not take the devil's tactics very lightly. Meaning we shouldn't even let our guards down because it is so cunning, its profession is manipulation. Now let's look at the serpent's first move. It approaches Eve and asks about the commandment God gave to them. Notice how he brings up the forbidden tree by not actually bringing it up. In Genesis 3 verse 1, It says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent purposefully changed the commandment when asking about it. He probably wanted to know how much Eve knew and also just wanted Eve to be the one that starts the topic about the forbidden tree. Remember, the devil can't read our thoughts. He has no control over our thoughts. But what he can do is present situations and study how we react to those situations in order to try and get an understanding of our thoughts. He then suggests an idea to us by introducing it to us indirectly. He makes it seem as if it was our idea to sin. Now looking at the serpent's first move, it brings us to this question. Why did the serpent approach Eve instead of Adam? Was it because Eve was weaker or is it because he knew that Eve would be easily deceived because she was gullible or she was very nurturing or is it because 
only she could get Adam to eat the fruit from the forbidden tree? Or is there a totally different reason? 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So Paul makes a point here and says, um, he points out the fact that God taught Adam and the world something by forming Adam first. God formed Adam first and then told him the commandment about the forbidden tree. So originally, the primary responsibility fell to Adam to be head and for Eve to be his helper, not the other way around. So the greater weight fell on Adam because the commandment came to Adam. He was the head and Eve the helper. He was to lead and protect and provide for her. This means that Eve was supposed to help Adam and also follow Adam, not the other way around. So does this mean that Eve was somehow vulnerable to the devil's deception? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 11 says, Man is not independent of woman, and woman is not independent of man either, stating that both men and women are equal, for they were created equal. God created them equal. The woman was created to be a strong and able companion for man. So we know now that the serpent did not approach Eve because she was weak but because she was strong. Eve was created to be Adam's helper, but she was also equal to Adam. She had to follow Adam as he was the head, but Eve was to help Adam in places that he needed her. They needed each other. What one lacked, the other helped. So, could it be that the serpent approached Eve because she was the only one that could make or convince Adam to eat the fruit from the forbidden tree. One thing for sure is, if the serpent had approached Adam first, its mission would have failed. So the serpent needed Eve for its plan to succeed. Now going back to the first point, it could have also been that the devil wanted to subvert God's order. God formed men, then women. So I assume that's how everything worked, as the man is the head and woman the helper. So the serpent made it so that the man took an order from the woman. And I will quote Ray Otland. He said, Eve usurped Adam's headship and led the way into sin. And Adam, who it seemed, had stood by passively, allowing the deception to process without decisive intervention. Adam forsook his part, abandoned his post as head. Eve was deceived. Adam forsook his responsibility. So, it is said that Adam abandoned his post and Eve took charge. This means that the serpent, by doing this, completely subverted God's order. Adam and Eve had a relationship that included God. Eve listening to the serpent and completely disobeying God's command was Eve also breaking their fellowship. 
The serpent knew that this could disrupt the order of things and that things might fall apart. So the answer is definitely not because Eve was weak. Eve was not weak, but she just happened to play right into the devil's trap. So in order for us to not fall into the very same trap that Eve fell into, we need to know how the devil works. See, the devil tempts us in many ways, but the strategy he uses is always the same, just different scenarios. It is very much possible to overcome all his temptations because we are not ignorant of his ways. Second Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 says, So that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. The Bible says we know his schemes, so he shouldn't be at an advantage, right? If we know his schemes, shouldn't we be at an advantage? Shouldn't we be the ones who are able to overcome all of his schemes, all of his tricks, because we know how he operates? We should, right? That's how it should be. That's how it should be. The Bible even says that we are not ignorant of his schemes. So the devil should not have the upper hand. He should not have the advantage because we know his schemes. Now, what are these schemes that the Bible tells us of? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, 1 John says, For everything in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. So it lists the um the the things the devil uses to trick us or to um tempt us into falling for his scheme. The first one is the lust of the flesh. The second one is the lust of the eyes. And lastly, the pride in one's possessions. Let's see if this really lines up with what happened to our dear Eve. The lust of the flesh is the first one the devil uses. When the serpent tempted Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, he suggested to her, <clears throat> that God was keeping something delicious from her. When he tempts us with the lust of flesh, he points to a natural desire and suggests that we should meet it in our own selfish ways. He also tempted Jesus using the same technique. When Jesus was led into the wilderness while fasting for 40 days and nights, the devil appeared and tempted Jesus using the lust of flesh, telling Jesus to to turn the stones to bread to prove that he is the son of God. But Jesus overcame this temptation by quoting scripture. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 which says, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The second one is the last of the eyes. Secondly, the devil tempted Eve through the last of eyes. The Bible says Eve looked at the tree and saw that the fruit was desirable. It looked good to eat. Eve's eyes told her something about the fruit 
that conflicted with what God had said about it. Our eyes play a major role in our decision making. We see something desirable to the eyes we want it and our flesh agrees that we must have it. Luke chapter 11 verse 34 to 35 says, The light of the body is the eyes. With the CBS version it says, Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. In life sciences or biology, we are taught um, of how the sun rays enters the eye so that we can see. And then after seeing a picture, our brain takes whatever we are seeing and puts it, let's say, folder in our brain. So next time when we see something similar to that, we can identify it as that. So if I see a chair, I'll know next time when I see something similar to a chair structure and everything, the properties of a chair, I'll know that it's a chair. So with Eve, she looked around and saw all of these trees that grew all of these delicious fruits and she had tasted these fruits and she had not died and they all tasted good so when she looked at the forbidden tree at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil she saw that the fruit was indeed good to eat it did not show any signs of it being a bad tree or it being a poisonous tree it didn't look like she would die it didn't look like it had poison so her brain is telling her no, this tree looks good. If all the other trees are good to eat from and their fruits are, are good looking and uh, are delicious, then this one should should also be like that. Then it should also be the case with this one. The devil also tempted Jesus with this. He tried to get the Son of God to last with his eyes, showing Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world and offering to give him everything but without the cross he does this and jesus also overcomes this temptation by quoting scripture and the last scheme the last tactic that the devil used is pride pride in one's possessions the serpent tempted eve with the desire to be her own god verse 5 says the serpent says to Eve in verse 5, In fact, God knows that when you eat it with your when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve's desire to be made wide led her to sin. She rejected the Lord's right to rule over her and chose instead to make her own decision. In essence, she became her own God. She practiced a will other than God's will. Satan also tempted Jesus with the pride of life. In Luke chapter 4 verse 9 to 11, he gave Jesus an opportunity to show off and publicly prove that he was the son of God. Jesus again responded and overcame the temptation 
by quoting scripture again. But we should learn from what Jesus did. In every situation that he was tempted by the devil, he quoted scripture. He went back to the word. He leaned on God's um, knowledge, the, the knowledge that God provided on God's word. Not like Eve, not like what Eve did. The difference between the temptation of Eve and that of Jesus is, isn't necessarily about who they are. Some might argue that Jesus passed, that Jesus overcame um, the temptations because he is the son of God. Well, that's not it. In all instances, Jesus referred to the scripture. In every temptation that the devil threw at him, Jesus looked to God. He understood and trusted God's word. He could overcome the temptations of Satan because he knew who he was and he leaned on his father and on his father's word. Eve, on the other hand, willfully engaged in a temptation that led to disobedience. Aside from the fact that she lived in the presence of God, she did not bother to ask God or refer to God for advice. I mean, she did not even ask Adam. She acted on her own according to her own desires. So, yes, the devil may tempt us in many ways, but his strategy is always the same. The scenario just differs. He minimizes the consequences of disobeying God and maximizes the benefits of disobeying God. But it is very much possible to overcome all his temptations because remember the Bible tells us that we are not ignorant of his ways. So we should have an advantage. And because Jesus did overcome the devil's temptations, it means that we can also overcome the devil's temptation by what? Referring back to the word, looking at what God had said and listening to that truth and not what the devil is saying. Because if you act according to your own will, according to your own understanding, according to your own knowledge, you will fall just like Eve did. Because the devil is very manipulative. We know that he even disguises himself as the angel of light. He makes evil look good. He manipulates with false guilt. He exploits natural weaknesses and twists scripture. We know he deceives and distracts and destroys. But you know what? Ephesians 6 verse 11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit, 
with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. The Bible here is a guide for us so that we can overcome the temptations of the devil just like Jesus did. It is also now telling us to wear the full armor of God so that we are ready. When he approaches us with his schemes, we are ready, already wearing the belt of truth. We know the Lord's truth. We know the truth that is in the Bible, that is in the word. So when, whatever he says, you can refer back to God's word and you can see that no, the, the truth that is in the word is the word that I have to follow. The Bible says that his flaming arrows will be stopped by the shield of faith, will be swallowed by the shield of faith. If you wear this armor of God, the devil cannot do anything to you. And if you pray while wearing the armor of God, he cannot touch you because you are fully protected. It also says that this battle that we are fighting is not a physical one. It is not of blood, flesh and blood, but it is against the spiritual world, spiritual forces. But do not be afraid because the Bible also tells us in First John verse, chapter 4 verse 4 that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, God. With him, you can overcome anything of the world. So, as the Bible said that our fight is not against um, flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. So, we should always remember that, yes, the devil may tempt us through the lust of the flesh, but we are not of this world. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So, you should listen to what the spirit is telling you and not what the flesh is telling you you shouldn't be falling for the last of eyes the last of the flesh the pride in one's possession because all of that are of the world all of that are of the flesh and not spirit so with any temptation that you face you just lean to god's word you just open God's word, refer to God's word, listen to what your spirit is telling you, not what the flesh is telling you, not what the eyes are telling you. Listen to the word of God, what God has taught you, what you have learned from reading about the journey of Jesus and then you will be able to overcome the temptations of the devil. Another question that is commonly asked is, why did God let the devil tempt Adam and Eve? Why did he not intervene? Well, when God created man, he gave man free will. See, our God is love and just like how he created the world and life out of love, he also created Eden out of love. Eden was not meant to be some kind of prison. It was a paradise. To be loving and willing participant in 
God's grand design, Adam and Eve were given free will. They were even allowed to exercise a different will than God's will. And that's because man was not created to be slaves. God does not force anyone to love or worship him. He does not force anyone to be obedient and loyal to him. That wouldn't be love. That would be abuse and manipulation. Our God wants you to worship. He wants us to worship and obey him because we love him. He wants us to do so out of our own accord because we choose him. Because it's what we want we want to do. And that's why he let the devil tempt Adam and Eve. Because they had every right to make their own decision. Even if their decision would lead to death or to leave paradise. Adam and Eve chose of their own free will to disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit. Knowing what the consequences were. God did not hide what the consequences of eating from that tree would be. So they knew. They knew choosing to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil meant that they were choosing death. And the result of their decision was evil, sin, sickness, suffering and death. Their decision resulted in every person being born with a sinful nature, a tendency to sin. And I guess that this also answers the next question, which is, why did God plant the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, in the middle of the garden, next to the tree of life? Well, it's because he was giving them a choice to choose from. It, um, They had a choice to choose between life or death, to stay in paradise or leave. God has always given them that choice. From the moment he gave a commandment against that tree. Because you can you really say you were given a choice and the decision that you made was the one that you wanted if you were only given one option? No, you can't really say that you made your choice out of your own will if you were only given one option to choose from in the first place. So God planting the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden was God giving them options they could choose from and unfortunately they chose death. Yes, they ate from the forbidden tree and yes, they lived for more than 900 years. But I'm hoping that everyone understands that there are two deaths that they were to face when disobeying God, spiritual and physical death. The Bible talks about it. It explains it. So the death that they experienced was spiritual. The first death that they experienced was spiritual. Because when God cut off fellowship with them, it was when God cut off um, his fellowship with them. Since they were covered with sin. Yes, they would die later. A physical death. But that life... The life that they lived, it came with pain. It came with sickness, suffering and all sorts of things you wouldn't find in paradise. And then they eventually died after such a long, hard and painful life. Now as we continue, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened 
and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I I was naked, so I hid. So now the Bible says, Both Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, and they became aware of their nakedness, and now knew that their perfection was now just a memory. They knew they had lost their innocence, and they were ashamed. The wisdom of knowing good and evil that they hoped to discover turned out to be a gift of shame and separation. They came to know evil in participating in it, by participating in it. And because of this nakedness, they hid themselves from the presence of God. Before, when they had heard the presence of God, they were unafraid. But now they feared the presence of God with whom they once had fellowship with in the garden. As we continue reading, we see that God asks them who told them that they were naked. And then continues to ask if they ate from the tree he told them not to eat from. Adam responds first by shifting, by shifting the blame to everyone except himself. He threw the blame to Eve and even to God. When approached by God, we see the first consequence or action of sin. First, there was overwhelming shame. Then the deep desire to get away from God's presence. In simple words, Adam was faced with his own guilt. So he looks for someone else to blame. This has been a normal human instinct since then. So when God turns to Eve and asks her, a more open-minded question what have you done eve admitted to her sin but blamed the serpent for her actions she says the serpent deceived me and i ate now both their responses result in broken human relationship there's no trust in there's no trust now then god turns to the serpent but with a notable difference he doesn't ask the serpent what he did. God chooses not to give the liar a chance to speak in this moment. Instead, God begins to pronounce a series of curses on the serpent, the man, and the woman. Obviously, God is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is all-knowing. So, he, he saw when the serpent was talking to Eve. And he knew that um, Eve gave into the serpent's deception. And he, when he was walking in the garden, he also knew where Adam and Eve were hiding themselves. He knew what they were thinking. He knew everything that had happened and he knew everything that would happen after. But he asked them. And they did not admit to their sins. Well, at least Eve admitted to her sin. But Adam did not. He put the blame on Eve and God 
completely. Now, remember when God gives us commandments, prohibitions. It doesn't do it to penalize us. On the contrary, he does it in order to provide us with his best and to protect us from negative consequences. The disobedience of God's commandment causes a break in fellowship with God. It caused a break in fellowship with God when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Right? Adam and Eve even hopelessly tried to hide from God, knowing very much that it was impossible because God is present everywhere. Then they tried getting God's attention off them by shifting blame onto someone else. This too is ineffective because God is all-knowing, already knowing what happened. He already knew what had happened. He already knew that they would shift blame. He already knows what's going to happen next. Now, the negative consequences God was trying to protect Adam and Eve from immediately occurred. They die, and as a result, the rest of the future human race dies as well. But of course, this is a spiritual death first. This is spiritual death first. Well, the scripture uses the word die in two different ways, as I explained earlier. To die physically and to die spiritually. You can look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Spiritual, physical death separates um, one from the earth, while spiritual death separates one from God. Adam and Eve died a spiritual death first when they were kicked out of Eden. They were cut off from the presence from the presence of God. Their second death was physical. After suffering pain, sickness, and hardship, they died. So what is the lesson that we should learn from Adam and Eve? Firstly, we should understand that God gives us commandments to follow to protect us from consequences of doing those things. Secondly, we should never let our guard down. Since the devil is always looking for ways to bring us down. Remember the Bible says the enemy comes to destroy and to kill. He will entice us to disobey God by maximizing the benefits of sin and minimizing the consequences of sin. But we can overcome this with the word of God. And that's why we need to always remain in God and live by his word so we can overcome temptation like Jesus did. And we should also learn that these are two wrong ways to handle disobedience. Listen, we are not perfect and we do make mistakes and we could fall into temptation because of what we are going through or because we may fall blind to the devil's tricks or whatever the reason may be. But when you do fall into temptation because it could happen, it possibly will happen, do not try to hide from God or shift the blame to others for your sin. Our God is an all-knowing God. He is ever-present. He already knows what you did and how it happened and why you did it. But remember, our God is also a loving God. He is a forgiving God. After what Adam and Eve did, He still forgave them. He took care of them. He never left them. He was always there for them because He is God of protection and He does not hold grudges and He is and he never forsakes his creation. Look at verse 21 of chapter 3. 
The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Even after what they had done, he saw that whatever they were hiding their nakedness with wasn't good enough for them. Maybe they they were going to get sick or whatever, but he made them clothes. He clothed them. Even though um, they were cut off from his presence, even though they were kicked out of, of Eden, even though he um, cursed them in so many painful ways, he still cared for them. He did what he did because he is a God of his word. He does not go back on his word. It did say that if you eat from this tree, you will die. And I'm and I I assume that they knew what death meant because they had spent so much time with God. They were in his presence. He explained it to them. So they knew that they were gonna die a physical death and a spiritual death. They knew the, the consequences to their actions. They knew what would happen. And God was just um, doing according to what his word had said. He never goes back on his word. So he was not going to change his word then for them. Because they didn't even apologize. Now the question is, would God have forgiven them if they and let them live in the garden if they owned up to their mistake and apologized? And the answer to their question is no. See, after the fall of mankind, God sent Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden to exclude them from the Tree of Life. This was to protect Adam and Eve and their offspring from the immortality given by the Tree of Life, which in their fallen state would have had them eternally condemned them to suffer separation from God. In God's mercy and love for mankind, after the fall, he enabled us to die so that we may be lifted up through his son and be rejoined with him in heaven. It was a mercy that God kept us from the tree of life by bearing access to the tree of life. God showed compassion in his omniscience, knowing that because of sin, earthly life would have been filled with sorrow and toil. God graciously limited the numbers of years men would live. To live eternally in a sinful state would mean endless agony for humanity, with no hope of the relief that comes with death. So by limiting our lifespan, God gives us enough time to come to know him and his provision for eternal life through Christ, but spares us the misery of an endless existence in a sin, sinful condition. So, in very simple words, um, the tree of life gives eternal life forever. Yeah, it's living forever. So, with Adam and Eve having eaten from the, the forbidden tree, they experienced spiritual death. And they were to live a, a painful life until they experienced the physical death. So, God knowing what would happen... He probably saw that Adam and Eve would have wanted to eat from the tree of life after eating from the forbidden tree. And them eating from the tree of life would have made them live forever in that state, right? In in the state where they were separated from God forever. 
in the state where they were to live life forever in agony, forever suffering. So God excluding mankind, kicking them out of the Garden of Eden was God preventing that to happen. But today, our tree of life is Jesus Christ granting us immortality through his defeat of death on the cross because of the sin of Adam and Eve. We now have the knowledge of good and evil and the free will to choose between the life-giving Christ or the deadly pursuit of selfish passion. You can read Matthew chapter 16 verse 24. So now we have learned that to eat out of the tree of life now, now in this age, today, this moment, to eat out of the tree of life is to follow Christ by bearing our cross in repentance and love for God. It is us choosing life. It is us choosing God. It is us completely abandoning our will to follow God's will. Yes, we still do have free will, but eating from the tree of life, choosing Jesus Christ, is us continuing to live in a fellowship that God wanted us to live in with him in the first place in the Garden of Eden. It is us following his will. It is not us um, exercising our our free will, the one that has it desires, right? It is us trusting in the will of God and choosing him. And with that said, we have come to the end of the episode. I really hope that everything that was said was very understandable. I hope that God gives you a clear revelation of why this podcast came to you. I hope that you take the lessons into consideration and the steps to protecting ourselves, protecting our soul into consideration. And I hope that every verse that we have read today, that you can um, take them and read them on your own and see what God tells you about them. Thank you so much for your support and thank you for tuning in always please make sure to subscribe and turn on the notification bell so you'll get notifications whenever there's a new episode you can leave a voice note on the app or use the details in the description to get in contact with me regarding any questions or topic topic suggestions or to just let me know that you're here thank you very much this is living